Some people look at Star Trek as a whole. They cover a character, or a season, or an entire series. Uh, some people, Lore Reloaded, for example, he likes to look at specific topics like the Borg or the Dominion War, you know, events that cover a substantial chunk of time. I have decided, and I decided quite a while ago, to go through episode by episode. It was the most thorough method that I could think of to go ahead and really dig into some of these episodes and really examine them. And if I could be completely honest for a second, part of the reason that I do this is because this is what I used to do with my mom, with my friends at school, with my friends at, at work, you know. Every time I'd watch the show or rewatch the show, I'd go and talk to my friends like, oh, you know, remember such and such episode? Yeah, and we'd just discuss it back and forth. Now, obviously, this is kind of a one-way communication, although I do read your guys' comments. But the point is, that's kind of the mentality I always have, is I've just watched the episode and now I'm chatting with my buds about it, you know? But the downside is every now and again there's an episode like this one. What the hell do I say about this episode? I mean, it's based on the, the tale of Dorian Gray, a little bit too literally. Would anyone like to explain to me how psychically dumping your negative emotions into someone physically ages them? And then, once it's done, de-ages them magically? And then magically ages you to the point of death? Huh? None of that makes sense, of course. Uh, this episode also has many, 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 many flaws in it. Uh, quite a few. There's... And I, I don't even mean, like, the usual little nitpicks. I'm talking... The Federation ship is so powerful and so terrifying that it's mentioned twice that everyone's terrified of it until it's actually in a situation where they need to flex and then all of a sudden the Federation is powerless before the locals who barely have space, space flight. Right. Or maybe the fact that uh, they, they insist that nothing's wrong with Troy. You, anybody who's been watching me knows that this is probably my most hated cliche in Star Trek. There's the crew. They all know each other pretty well. One of the crew members is acting out of or out of the ordinary. Nobody notices anything. And then, oh my gosh, they're possessed, or they have a drug, or an addiction, or whatever. There's something wrong with them, right? And nobody picked up on it. In this episode, it's even worse, because this is season six. So even if we ignore whatever happened before the show began, these people have known each other for about five years now. Five full years. So, you know, five plus, in other words. And in addition to that, one of the people who doesn't pick up on the fact that something's wrong with Troy is Riker, the one who knows her best. In fact, they actually have nailed that several times, including in season five, the connection and friendship and dynamic between the two to show how close they are. And he doesn't pick up on it. He's just like, oh, my God, this isn't you. I don't understand because I'm a moron. And the reason this aggravates me is the obvious, but also because usually this only happens because plot. Because whenever this tends to happen in Star Trek, it happens because if people picked up on it earlier, they would do something about it and the episode would end at like the halfway point. Maybe that would be a good thing in this case, but you get the problem, right? In short, it is a perfect example of the concept known as the idiot ball. It is worth noting... In the interests of fairness, this episode was a rush job. 
they were actually supposed to be working on relics. So they, they had a lot of the prep work done, the set design, the, the scripts was already working on relics, and all of a sudden, for reasons that we are lost to time, uh, James Doohan couldn't show up. Like, he was unavailable. It's like, um... Okay, and this is a television show with a schedule and a budget. That means they can't just wait and do nothing for the week before he's actually available, or two weeks or however long it is. They need to be producing. Problem was, they had, uh, you know, there's a, there's a pattern to this, right? There's, there's a schedule and there's a whole lot of people involved. Like, I can take a few hits to my schedule, but I'm an individual. This is a large show with hundreds of people involved beholden to a company, right? That is always in a competition for its own existence. The show as well as the company. You know, the ratings war, right? So they had to develop something. They had to produce something. So they're like, what was the next episode down the line? Which was Man of the People. The problem is, because of the nature of how television works, they only had the baseline script for that. The, the most basic level idea and concept of it. Which, according to, and I'm going to butcher this name, uh, Frank... Abbott Mark, Abetta Marco? I am completely butchering that, I apologize. Was supposed to be something substantially different than this. And I'd like to believe him because, well, he is also one of the main writers for Chain of Command Part 1 and 2. So, it's not like the man can't write. Right? Anyways, <clears throat> point being, this, they were just like, um, okay. And they had the entire writing staff take this, I'm not even joking. Each main writer uh, on the staff wrote one of the acts, separate from each other. And then Frank, the, the original uh, writer, strung that together into a teleplay. And we get this mess. This boring, disinteresting mess. And I started going through it. And I've got my notes here. So I talk about Alcar, right? And Alcar is just kind of there. He's slimy. Weaselly. He's got that punchable face. You know, it's what I usually call a type 3 villain. Someone who's just a smug snake. Someone who's just... They, they weasel their way around the rules. Oh, you can't hurt me. The Federation has, has promised me safe passage. And I'm a good guy. You know, that kind of thing, right? The oily kind of person. And then I was like, that sounds really familiar. Where do I know this guy from? That's right. This same actor played Mabus over in Voyager. You know, one of the Trabe who was justifying genociding the Kazon. You remember that? He also played a dude in Enterprise, but i got to be honest, I barely remember that episode. It was the Nausicaan episode of Enterprise. Anyways, I bring this all up, by the way. You notice I haven't even talked about the episode proper yet. I bring all of this stuff up because my first note in the entire thing, other than behind-the-scenes stuff, is I, I jotted down the timestamp of 20 minutes and 30 seconds. And I jotted that down specifically because Troy is acting kind of wonky and nobody notices, including Riker, who is actually interacting with her in that scene. So then I wrote down another timestamp at 26 minutes and 19 seconds. So that's six, a little under six minutes. Uh, it's five minutes and 49 seconds with no, nothing worthy of note. And he, she, that's when she literally scratches Riker. Physical assault. Still nothing. Then we get to the 29-minute mark, where she attacks Picard with a knife. And finally, 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 people decide to start taking it seriously. And the episode actually starts at the 29-minute mark. What? <laughs> so, Alcar is scum. 
And there's some interesting thoughts there. Uh, he tries to have his point, but it, and it feels like someone was trying to give him, you know, some kind of idea or credit, and so he's not just completely evil. You know, he mentions how I don't ask for anything, and I'm just, you know, I'm a decent person, and blah, blah, blah. Let's go ahead and say what we have here. This man is a sociopath, specifically. He is someone who has basically developed a lack of proper empathy or care for others. He's looking at things as a mathematical equation and nothing else. What he does is good because he helps many, even though he does so at the direct sacrifice of the few or the individual. And this is important. He feels nothing, no remorse, no regret for what he does, as he butchers his way through what he himself refers to as his receptacles completely dehumanizing them. Now, I'm admittedly not sure how he's been getting away with this for so long, because you'd think there'd be something of a trail, and it's not like it took us all that long to figure out the thing with Troy, but moving along. <clears throat> yeah, anyways, so this man is scum, and probably deserves to die. Fortunately, he does. But I bring this up because you'd think there would be at least some kind of proper dilemma here. Here's the big thing, though. Ignoring the obvious fact that he's a horrible person, the, the argument he might have falls apart because he presumes that the only way peace can be had is through the receptacle process. Now, that's important, because he is presuming its mandatory nature and direct connection to results. In other words, the only way they have peace is because of him, and the only way he brings peace is because of his receptacles. Now, you could argue whether the results show that or not, and this episode is poorly written drivel, so it kind of does show that. But the point remaining, he is he's basically forming a, a degree of false equivalence here. It's not quite correct, but I don't remember the proper term right now, and frankly, I don't care. So he has no point, is what I'm trying to say. He's just, no, I'm going to keep doing this. You know what I was reminded of? Mr. Purple, Jessica Jones, specifically the show, um, uh, David Tennant's portrayal of it. What we have here is a unique circumstance of someone who was born with the ability to do this, who therefore never grew up, never developed emotionally or mentally, hence the sociopathy. What I mean by that... Let's just be real for a second. This is the only thought, the real thought I have in this entire episode. You don't have to answer this, but I'm sure a lot of you know what it means to have dark thoughts. Unpleasant thoughts, or dirty thoughts, or horrible thoughts. Now, if you're listening to me saying this, there's a pretty good chance that you were at least a teenager. You're probably more likely into your 20s, or maybe you're in your 50s. I don't know. I don't, I don't care that much. But the relevant point is you have already had years of experience at coping and dealing with those random thoughts. There's actually several levels of psychology developing around the, the process of... Uh, I can't remember the term. It's like sub, some conscious such-and-such thoughts, like where they just kind of show up. You don't actually think that. You don't actually mean that. You don't really want to do that. It's just a thought that flits through there, and then you deal with it because you've had years of dealing with that. Because you have trained your mind... And as a consequence, your emotions. I know that kind of sounds like, a, oh yeah, sure, I'm totally an emotional control. But you are. In a lot more than you probably think you are. Because if you were completely out of control emotionally, you'd be a barely disconsorted mess that, can, that couldn't function in modern society. But instead, you have spent years and years developing what is effectively an immune system to your own thoughts. 
This then leads us to Alcar, who has not. He's never had to. It, it's the immune system problem. You know, look, look at the... Uh, actually, I'll, I'll just say Mass Effect, but there's actually several works of science fiction that have analyzed the idea of what a species would do if they had no immune system. They pretty much rely on containment and medical technology to do anything because they can't develop it, right? Same general idea. So he is emotionally and mentally a child. This, of course, then leads to why it makes so much sense that he has no understanding or sympathy for anything, because why would he? He doesn't actually understand such concepts. And then, of course, he's Dorian Gray. <laughs> um, Crusher says she can knock Troy out for 30 minutes. Okay. Then they call him down. You know, they say, you're coming up. And then he leaves the room, and then she says, I've got three minutes and 40 seconds set left. What the hell have you been doing for 26 minutes? Seriously. Now, we all know why this is. It's because it's an artificial ticking clock. This then leads us to this whole thing just kind of being like, okay. Probably the only positive thing I can say about this episode, and this is a very minor point, is that at least they set a proper net for this guy. They have the transporters ready to go to beam her to safety, and they also have Worf standing outside to make sure he doesn't do anything. He is physically and, by technology, contained. Therefore, he is no longer a threat. And then they bounce the energy back into him, and he dies a horrific death, which makes no sense, the end. Now, I want, you to, I want to give you a little insight into this. I've been debating as I go through this rumination if this is a lamentation. Um, really going through the notes, really going through my own thoughts and emotions, because I like—I don't like to make snapped decisions, and I never like to decide in, in advance. I never choose something to be a lamentation until I'm already at it. That's pretty much my rule. Then I started thinking, what are the good aspects of this episode? Are there any good aspects of this episode? Don't make the joke about Marina Sirtis' dress. Just don't. I am, in fact, going to make a parallel here. There's a scene where she's doing her stretches by herself, and it lasts for several minutes. There's no dialogue in the scene, but all it is is her stretching and then kind of opening her blouse in a, in a very PG way, and then touching herself in a very PG way, and then leaving. Nothing happened. Nothing was revealed. It was really, really boring. I'm sorry, I just realized what I meant, what that sounds like, saying nothing was revealed. What I mean is there's no revelation character-wise or narratively speaking. It doesn't inform us about Troy's character. We don't learn anything new about her. You remember that point I made about Picard back in Inner Light? It had to be Picard. Otherwise, who gives a crap? This is not Troy. This is, this is basically Alcar. We are functionally seeing Marina Sirtis play Alcar in this episode. And, okay. And that brings me to my, my six points of story. So, is the plot interesting? No. Does it do anything for characterization? Nope. Any character growth? Nope. It's actually kind of character assassinin, assassination, as I mentioned with Riker. Does it do anything thematically? No. There's no theme to this episode. If you can come up with one, by all means. Is it do anything for the setting building? No, none of these people will ever be mentioned before or since. This is all in a vacuum, in a bubble, over there on the Twilight Zone. Is it fun? <sighs> My first note about the episode is at the 20-minute mark. 
I found myself so dulled, I'm not even joking, I started playing a video game on my Switch while watching this episode because I was so de-engaged by it. I had, I've had a comment uh, several times, actually, that maybe the value of the Lamentations has, has been devalued. I'm doing it more for viewers' sake, to get, view, to, to get ratings or whatever. To be 100% clear, that is not true. It would probably be more accurate to say that the real problem is that I was far too lenient on Voyager. If I ever do redo Voyager, which I do want to do someday, there will probably be more Lamentations than just the one. Which brings us to this episode. This episode sucks. It is boring, badly written drivel. And it, I'm reminded of an old quote. We know why it's drivel. But no matter what the reason why it sucks, the core answer is still that it sucks. We're still left with a garbage episode. And this is my final point I'm going to give. I've watched TNG many times. And I have rewatched TNG... And I have loved this show. And when I saw the next episode in season six was Man of the People, my first thought was, huh? Didn't recognize it. So then I pulled up Memory Alpha, and I didn't recognize it. So I scrolled down a bit. I'm like, oh, the one where Troy gets old and creepy. Okay, okay, that, that rings a bell. This has been on my skip list for so long. I think this is the first time I've seen this film in this century, if you understand what I mean. Like, as in, it's literally been since the 90s since I have rewatched this episode. And I can see why. I hope you've enjoyed my thoughts. I'll see you next time.